Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Board Game Mechanics. I'm Katie, and with me, as always, is... Hey, everybody, what's going on? It is Jason. Whew, it's still hot. It's still summer. You'll probably hear our air conditioning running in the background, because there's no way we can turn it off right now. No, too hot. Too hot for that mess. Yeah, I was outside for, like, just a few minutes today, and I thought, wow, I think I'm going to literally melt. And not, it wasn't raining or anything, but I think we're going to get... We keep getting these random reprieves for a few days in between, so that's what I'm living for. <laughs> Six days of terrible, one day <laughs> of not as terrible. Well, we'll take it. It's fine. We'll take it. Right. I mean, I, I think it just makes it harder because it's really hot outside, so... We're not going to be going outside, and there's a lot of togetherness at our house since both our kids are home, you know, for the summer. I am teaching only online class this summer. Uh, Jason works at home, so it is all family all the time. That's a that's a lot. That's true. A, yeah. a lot of togetherness. Grandma hasn't been taking the kids as much as I had hoped either. No. I don't know if she wants me to, you know, suggest it. <laughs> I'm going to be like, you know, I just, I need like two days a week where they spend some time away from me so I can love them better. <laughs> <sighs> but yeah. anyway, I digress. This is not like a parenting, like, um, therapy show. No, this you don't want to listen to, you don't want to listen to us for that. No, no, no. Well, well, we're the ones that need therapy. We're not giving therapy. Um, uh. <laughs> but we have a lot in today's episode. And so I don't want to belabor the beginning banter because I have a lot to talk about right away with news and crowdfunding. There's a lot of stuff and a lot of stuff I'm going to talk about today. If you're listening to like back episodes, you're probably going to be mad at me if you're interested in any of these things, um, because these are all within the next, you know, five, six days, because it is like happening. There's some really interesting stuff out there. Um, and I want to talk about it all. So the first one is going to be, I don't want to say it's a shock, but it mixes two really interesting things. So I want to talk about, this is on Kickstarter, Return to Dark Tower RPG. That's right. So I did recently play the new Return to Dark Tower from Restoration Games. Really fun. Um, and now someone at ninth level, I believe, has taken it and made a role-playing game, which seems really cool. And it's it's a little less involved, um, this is from, I think, like a polymorph and like mazes fantasy role playing. I don't, I don't understand this particular like RPG system, but it is a little bit, um, maybe kind of boiled down, I want to say, um, where you, everyone, one person decides that they're going to actually play the villain, which you can create together as like your group in your campaign or you can take one that's kind of established and use that um and that person also kind of is the gm they're kind of running the things because they're you know developing evil behind the scenes and then everyone else is a hero that kind of is represented by a single polyhedral it's your die i'm not quite sure how you choose that but you that's your definition one polyhedral die so it's either a d4 d6 d8 or d10 
those are those make up the adventuring party um, it comes with a little character sheet. The interesting thing is it really does try to follow the Return to Dark Tower game. So you are heroes from one of the four realms that exist there. Is it four realms? I, I feels like it because it was each of the Isn't companies. it four directions? Four kingdoms. Yeah, are? four kingdoms, okay. not realms. Four kingdoms. Um, you're a hero. You've got a companion. You're fighting against this adversary. Um the, you've got the same kind of like weeks of time that are, that the time is actually being tracked throughout the campaign. They said like three to five episodes makes a campaign. Um, you've got battles. You've got a resource clock. Um, things get harder and deadlier as you move through, which is kind of how what happens in the board game as well. Um, there's like a questing part, which is very traditional RPG dungeon battling loot looting that kind of stuff gathering resources to help for the final battle kind of thing um you know whatever it might be foiling the adversary plot so again these things very familiar if you've played the actual board game you have a tally phase you're kind of inventorying things um are you ready to attack the tower do you need support and then you kind of do like a marching thing what are we doing next time so there's this really, uh, there's cool little tracking systems. The neat thing is, so they, they've got this like hardcover book that's awesome. It has everything you need in it. And you can actually use your components from the Return to Tark Tower board game. And on the Kickstarter, they show you kind of a picture of the the board game out there. You, they actually, you can do, get like an upgraded version that has a cardboard um, tower, but you could put your own dark tower on there, but it's actually a cardboard dice tower instead of the one where you dump skulls in. But you could use that in addition with this, which I think is really cool. So it's like, if you can't get enough of Return to Dark Tower, you can like kind of make it even more like your own um, campaign against something evil and defending your kingdom. I don't. I think it sounded cool. So if you really like Return to Dark Tower, or if you were really interested in it, but you're like, "Ooh, it's really expensive," or I don't know about all of that because it's like very app driven, kind of techy and stuff, and you want like old school kind of low tech, but you still want to get back to Return to Dark Tower, check out the Return to Dark Tower role playing game. There's five days left on that Kickstarter when once this episode drops, um, and to get the hardcover book. And materials, it's 50 bucks. If you want to get like this tower and like this, your GM screen and some other extras, that's kind of the deluxe, which is 125. But you, um, if you actually own Return to Dark Tower and you want like a digital copy, it is like super affordable. Just the digital versions um, are like 25 bucks. So uh, it, it also comes with the Roll20. Um, module for the game so you can do it that way as well yeah we were talking about this in the car today and i said this would be a role-playing game that i would be into because it seems like and this is my issue with role-playing it takes a lot of the imagination out of it i know that makes me sound terrible but i just don't have a good imagination so this seems like it has a little more story that we just follow i roll some dice and you know what happens happens so and it, it looked cool with the uh dark tower mat too but again that doesn't come with it <laughs> Well, yeah, and I think especially for people who are interested in RPGs or who like the board game and want to kind of like branch that, this is very basic. When you play like, let's say, like a traditional D&D, like a 5e kind of thing, there are lots of dice to roll. There are lots of different types of rolls. 
You have to know which kind, like, okay, so I'm going to two-handed with my Warhammer, that's a D10, but if I only use one hand, then that's actually going to be a D6, but I'm going to add my multiplier. Um, it seems like the scale's down a little bit, because the fact you, as a hero, have one die, that's you. Um, so I feel like there's some simplification in that, um, that I think, I think might make this really accessible for people, in addition to the theme being really accessible, so... Yeah, check that out. My next one, completely opposite, totally different, but something that really stuck out to me because I am have grown up near Dayton, Ohio my whole life, which is the home of the Ray Brothers, um, who are credited for the first flying machine that flew. I mean, other people made flying machines. Like yeah, in Ohio, not Kitty Hawk. Yeah, forget that North Carolina people. Fight. <laughs> Bring it to me. Bring it to me in the DMs. Although what you're about to talk about is probably from Kitty Hawk. I don't know if it necessarily says it's flight in general. So the game is called first in flight, which I think sounds like a really cool theme. What's even more interesting to me is that the designers are Ben Rossett and Matthew O'Malley, which you may recognize from their games, the search for planet X between two cities. So, you know, not slouches, but here you are part of like the race for doing heavier than air flight. So creating an airplane, um, kind of risk rewards, workshop, test flights, all those things. And what's really cool, it has some really neat mechanisms. There's almost like a rondelle where you choose your actions and it functions that what we call kind of the Takedo mechanism where the person who is the farthest behind, um, like will always take the next action and can move to any available space. So it's a little mix of that. So like you're trying to set actions you want to take. But there's also this idea where, okay, if I don't move too far forward in action, I might be able to really get this really good action or um, I can really take several turns in a row and be super efficient and get a bunch of done um, for other people who like jumped way ahead. Really interesting. So you can like upgrade your flyer. You can repair stuff. You can get friends and technologies to help you. And you can go on test flights to help you set new distance records. So what's really interesting is when you are going to fly, it's a push your luck. You have a personal deck of flight, um, which has different distances on cards. But also in that deck are flight problems. that are going to kind of limit what you can do and how far you can go. And it can... You can crash if you ever draw four of them during your flight. So you can get skill cards to kind of help you avoid that um, and make you be able to fly longer until you you actually decide to land as opposed to crash landing. But uh, I love a little and a very thematic kind of push your luck in that. And then in between like your flights, you're obviously going to work um, on your design to make your next flight better, repairing stuff. Um, you can repair problems out of that deck and get new technologies and skills to put in it um, to really help you like set up for these really far flights that are going to help you work on moving up on your points. I think that's so cool. I think that theme is dope. I can't believe that this hasn't, I mean, I think it's kind of been done before, but not in this way. Um, so it's this pusher like kind of deck building game to build like the best like first airplane. Uh, so if that interests you at all, or even just the mechanisms, check out First in Flight. There are six days left on that Kickstarter once this drops. I'm assuming this will drop on a Friday. Um, and the base pledge is 39 bucks, which I think is freaking super reasonable for this. 
Yeah, this is definitely another one that is tempting me. That push your luck flying thing sounds awesome. It reminds me of that thing that um, they showed us in Distilled when we were at yeah. Origins. That similar kind of deal. Uh, yeah, that sounds really cool. And it looks it looks amazing, too. And the theme is, you know, hometown theme, so that's fun as well. Right. I, I would be remiss if I didn't mention the Deluxe Edition is only $55, and it's got, like, resin player pawns and flyers, metal coins, foil-printed upgrades, you know, these really cool uh, stretch goals. So I really like that. But still... 39 bucks, super reasonable for what looks to be mechanically a really good game. All right. Going to one that... I've got a few in here that I'm not going to take a bunch of time on because they're obviously super popular. And... But I thought I would be remiss if I don't include them. And one of those is Bot Factory. Um, Bot Factory, Eagle Griffin is putting out another um, game in conjunction with Vital Asserta. Vital also has a co-designer on this i really wish i understood the the mechanics of spanish pronunciation how you pronounce that first name i don't know what you're saying j-o-a with a tilde o it's like sal sal paolo it's sort of like that i think but it's a j i know so yeah that's like a sound like a sound yao yao quintella martins anyway and Vital Asserta. I don't want to downplay the fact that Vital has a co-designer on this. I just obviously don't know how to pronounce their name, and I apologize profusely. But Bach Factory has been touted as basically a lighter version of Kanban. They did like kind of a little different theming on this one where you're preparing toy robots, which I think is really cute. So you work at a toy factory, but okay, they're like, the toy factory was like, hey, we heard of this combo method. Let's do it at a toy factory. So you should make toy bots. And guess what? We brought Sandra in to help make sure that you get it together. Um, so worker placement, one to four players, you're going to plan, manufacture, assemble, and market these toy bots. And Sandra's going to come around and slap you and around. Slap if you, you around, yep. Uh, Sandra. Don't do it the right way. Now, I would like to tell you more about how to play this, but they don't give me directions on how to play it. Oh, they do. No, they don't. The I don't think they do. There. Okay. Two interesting things though that are about this that are very Eagle Griffin worthy. The bots, the workers, even Sandra are silk screened wooden pieces. They look awesome. So, so awesome. And there's a rotating wheel that's going to carry the bot parts from the storage bin to the workers. Jason loves a good gimmick. I do love a gimmick. And I didn't realize it was, I thought it was still a car theme too, which is cool. I like the little toy robot theme. No, toy bots. I think that's cool. Um, so I, I, Definitely wanted to mention it because um, I really just think this is obviously, it's obviously way funded. Um, I love Uncle Vital, clearly. Um, Kanban, I, I don't love, but I would give this a try because I like the theme better <laughs> already, even though I know it's just basically the same thing, whatever. It still entertains me. Um, so if you like Uncle Vital, if you like Kanban or you didn't, you want something a little bit lighter, 
um, or you're looking for a foray into a Vitella Serta game, maybe check this out. So Bot Factory has six days left, and it's the Eagle Griffin game, the base pledge, $48. Hello. Whoa, my heart just stopped. They must have been listening to your complaining. I know. That's what I was going to say. Finally, all these years. I seriously doubt it. No, they do listen. That's why we all, we don't get review copies <laughs> so anymore. They They're don't say anything because you are so jerky to them. <laughs> I'm just being honest. It's ridiculous. I, <laughs> However, I approve of this one because this one finally is nice production and within a budget that people can actually manage. Right. I mean, so after having talked with Tim's brother-in-law about like why companies like Eagle Griffin are like, hey, I just want to make really quality, well-made games that look amazing on the table that are going to want to bring people in to play them, that you're going to be proud to take out, display, and play for years to come. I mean, I, I get it. Like, I can see it. Can I afford it? No. Right. No, I, I, understand. I understand. I understand why. And I, I, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with it. It just makes me sad because we can never buy their games. That's true. We'll just wait for them on the secondary market. <laughs> get an old Buster copy. It's cool. <laughs> 20 years, they'll be cheaper. <laughs> right. Uh, just I've still got two more. The next one is actually a Roxley game, which we don't really play their games. Because um, they're usually games that are not our style. But this one kind of looks like it could be, and it's called Skyrise. Um, so this, Jason tells me, is basically a re-implementation of Metropolis. Met- Metropolis, yeah. It's an old uh, starry game. Looked Had a terrible-looking board, which I think it looks amazing. I've wanted the copy for a long time, but this one is bringing it back. Yeah, so this is a really gorgeous-looking game where you are building structures in a city, and they're actually gorgeous structures. Um, you're doing it by auctioning. There's a limited supply of structures, and you're bidding with the structures in order to see what's getting built. Um, based on where they get built, when you construct the building, you get discs that kind of represent these different factions within the city that will give you favor with different types of people like philosophers, naturalists, artists, inventors. And that's going to kind of up the prestige value of your structures that you have in those different kinds of neighborhoods um, of those different types of people at the end of the game. You also um, like get these like secret patron discs that can give you points as well, but no one else knows what they are. So you can kind of bluff and say how much you're getting from somebody, which you might not. It's it doesn't seem to be really intricate to the like integral. I don't want to say intricate, integral to the play of the game, but certainly another interesting feature. And so you've got like two eras that you're building these structures on. And and this interesting is at the beginning of the second era, you get kind of your own special building it's called like your visionary's wonder because you have you are some type of building visionary artiste in this game and that automatically wins an auction when you play it so you kind of have this trump card that you get for the second era so you choose wisely when to play it and then also gives you like this you choose what kind of powerful scoring ability that that particular building is going to have so you're really like saying okay how is this going to work? What am I going to go for in the second era? Um, you know, and then when I play playing that particular building at the most strategic time to maximize that, I think that has some really interesting implications. And then there's like objectives for tallest building. Um, 
And you've got private other secret objectives as well that you can fulfill. So lots of different stuff happening in this game that looks really intriguing. Artwork looks gorgeous. Also, production is insane. However, it's like they also listen to Jason. So if you're like, man, I kind of like the idea of city building with some auctioning. That sounds pretty cool. Skyrise has six days left in Kickstarter and a basic game pledge. And they say, if you like a more minimalist approach and look to your games, but still with a gameplay, choose this option. $49. That should be called the Jason Smith option. Moving The Jason Smith option is $49. The Katie Sandy Smith option, where if you want it to be aesthetically pleasing, and this thing has the potential for sick looking aesthetics, like gorgeous 3D buildings, like kind of steampunky edging, over the top. You just need to look at it. Check it out. $75. Still not crazy for a super Mondo Deluxe Edition like this thing looks like. So if any of that interests you, check out Skyrise. Yeah, now the thing that makes me most happy is now people are going to be unloading their old and busted one and it can find a place <laughs> at our house. So that's what I'm looking forward to. We'll see. No, not a bunch of people like unloaded like their old Rococos and stuff like we had hoped for. It's the new because the new one was really expensive. <laughs> All right, we'll see about it. The last one, I'm not going to belabor the point, um, but I have to mention Septima on Kickstarter. It doesn't need my help. It's raised like over half a million dollars already. If you want to know more about the game, I talked about it. In last week's episode, our Origins wrap-up, I talked about it in the week, two weeks before episode with the Origins preview. Um, again, you're you're making a witch co- coven, you're working with the townsfolk, you want to be the next, the new Septima through simultaneous action selection and other things. It looks so good. I, oh my gosh, it looks so good. The we backed it, so technically they cool. did get our help. So. That's true. The artwork is cool. Uh, the gameplay, lots of tracks, and I, I, you definitely need to check this one out for sure. There are six days left on that Kickstarter, um, and there is only one pledge, and it is a deluxified, gorgeous version, and that's seventy nine dollars. So the Kate, it's there's only a Katie Sandy Smith version, seventy nine dollars. Um, yeah, a little pricey, but it's. I think it's going to be worth it. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, so all of that, and I'm finally done with news and crowdfunding. There's even stuff I skipped that looked good because I just felt like I had to bring you these things. All right, so let's talk about some games that we played. So we got to play some games. We had our weekly game day with our new hotness buddy. And we also played some games with Katie's family. We have a like a monthly get-together with them, and we always end up playing some games. And the first game that we're going to talk about is one we played with them. And this is a game that Katie really digs. I think it was in... Was it in your top 100? I can't remember for Probably. sure. Probably. Yeah, well, if not, sure it was it in the top 200 for sure. And this game is called Campy Creatures. And this is published by Keymaster. And this is effectively a simultaneous action selection game where you're taking on the role of these different types of monsters. So you got like the blob, you got Frankenstein's monster, you're going to have vampires and robots, just old school like monster movie monsters. And what you're trying to do is 
everyone's going to pick one of these monsters and they're going to reveal it. And what you're trying to do is you're trying to capture these mortals that are out in the in the table to be taken. Highest number will get to select first, and these mortals are basically going to have points on them. They could be negative. You could want odd numbers of some. You could want even numbers of some. You might want to have the most of something, and there could be some that are negative. There's some where you're trying to collect a set collection thing and all that kind of thing. So the highest number goes first, but there are monsters that can break that rule. Some monsters that have lower numbers, they can activate off other monsters. Some monsters, you can put it out there like the blob. And then after everybody reveals, then you can pick a new monster to play. So you can maybe get a higher number. And you're going to play through, I think, three rounds like that. And it's like, so you're going to play six of your eight cards. And whoever has the most points after all that is the winner. Really simple game to teach. Easy game to play. We actually used some of the expansion monsters this time, uh, which was cool. Just changes it up a little bit. And it was fun. Good game. Great art. Um, everybody we played it with seems to really dig it. And I think that was the case this time. So how'd you feel about Campy Creatures this time? I like it. It's It was number 92 on my top 100. I did a little check. Um, it is... I like simultaneous, simultaneous action selection games for newer gamers um, because then everyone's involved um, you're not waiting on someone to take your turn you, it's it makes it a little bit easier to keep everybody together so someone's interest doesn't wane if someone else is taking a long time um, they tend to be pretty short which is about this like a rounds quick so even if the first time you're like I'm not sure what to pick once you kind of see how everything plays out and you resolve the stuff people usually go oh okay 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 and the next time they like are thinking a little bit differently a little more strategically trying these other things um and again it's it's from Keymaster. i love them their artwork is like stinking on point fantastic um and and again it's one of those really fun kind of themes i think draws people in like hey we're monsters we're trying to capture these mortals and some give you points and some are like leading an angry mob so you want to avoid those um and just how cards play out like we're you're trying to like outthink each other like oh you know it turns into a whole princess bride like you think that i'm going to choose this cup but you think you i know that you think that i'm going to choose this so i'm going to choose this other one and but this one has the iocane powder, but you don't know that I actually have developed a resistance to iocane powder. Like this whole, like there's this whole mind games thing happening. And all you're doing is choosing a card. I love games like that where it's one very simple ac actual action. All I have to do is pick a card, but the choice to arrive to that card is enough to like challenge the most experienced gamers. And yet be accessible enough for brand new gamers. So yeah, I love Campy Creatures. Obviously, it's definitely a top one hundred game for me. Yeah, I yeah every time I forget that I like it, and then every time I play it, I really enjoy it. And I do like that you can bang out a game of this in less than thirty minutes because everybody's playing at the same time, like you said. All right, so at the next two games were from our weekly game night with our friend Chris and his wife Amy, and we played two games. We're gonna save the one that is apparently the greatest game of all time for later. But we're going to talk about the one that I liked better, spoiler, first. And that game is called Gollum. And this is from, not Gollum like Lord of the Rings will say Gollum. And this is from Cranio. And it's published by three of the um, Italians. We have, let me see if I can remember their name, Brasini, Gigli, and Luciani. 
Yeah, I'm not going to say their first names. I probably said those wrong, but either way. And effectively what this game is, it's a worker placement game and a kind of like a dice drafting game with this like theme where you're rab- rabbinical students and you're trying to control these golems that were created by this rabbi because they're getting out of control. I don't know. It's some weird theme. I don't understand it. But it's not a weird theme. It's based on Jewish folklore. You just don't know the... F- no. I even re- I even read the theme before I did the video, and I still was like, I don't, I don't understand what this is. <laughs> but I, cause our friend, we were setting it up, and I was like, wait a minute. Why do we have Hebrew like characters on these things? And then he said it was because we have a little rabbi character. I was like, oh, that's cool. It, it's a cool theme. You don't get to play as rabbis a lot in games. But either way, what you're doing in this game is you are basically trying to take different actions. And the way you're going to take these actions is you have a little rabbi character. You can send him off to a board, which will let you do some things. Or you can draft a marble from this like marble tower thing. And the area that you pick it from is going to get, uh, give you an action. The strength of the action is how many marbles are there. And the color of the marble may or may not move a student of that color. And what you're trying to do is you're trying to move students down these neighborhoods to get income, you're trying to move these golems down the neighborhood because when they work for you, they'll produce things as well. But you're also trying to keep your students and golems close together because if your golem gets too far ahead of your student, you have to pay knowledge. It gets expensive. If you can't pay, you're going to lose some points. You're also trying to upgrade all this stuff on your board to get you more points. You're trying to get books. You're trying to make these artifacts. Um, you're trying to get um, menorahs because more menorahs are like in-game point multipliers for all these upgrades whole bunch of stuff going on you have 12 actions in the game plus you know multiplied actions and all that kind of thing but 12 basic actions that you're going to be doing so you're trying to do a whole lot and not a lot of time and i dig it so this game was great um it has a lot of the feel of like grand Autry hotel and newton because it's the italians they like to use similar concepts across their games um and it did not disappoint. It was tight. It was thinky. You can't do everything. And I really, 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 really like this one. So how did you feel about the golem that was rampaging through your neighborhoods? My golems were rampaging because they just were running <laughs> way ahead of my students. They're like, screw you guys. We got stuff to do. Um, I liked it. I, I, do, I do like it. Um, I was utterly stomped and I think it's because of just how I like to play games. Let's go back. Let's, let's talk about who won this one before you continue. So I like to play games <laughs> where, okay, um, I see, you, I see, I see. there are multiple paths to victory, which means like you can do your thing and I can do my thing and we can go after different types of things, but we're, we're both able to get points and we're both able to be competitive. I don't feel like that this game allows for that strategy um you definitely have to do some things i honestly don't even understand how i got so off course i I really don't i I know like a few things i did wrong like you need to kind of develop an engine to get stuff which i did not but i don't understand how my golems got so far ahead I, i don't understand that well, I, you weren't killing a lot of yours, so I was bringing my movement down because I kept killing my golems. That's true. I didn't kill them because to me, I'm like, why would I kill a worker? That doesn't make sense. It. But I think it's because I still really didn't understand 
the gameplay because normally you're like, okay, I want these golems are my workers. I want lots of them and I want them to be out there doing things because that's how I do things. That's not really true. No, you don't want that in this one. Of this game because you, you are actually doing actions differently. You have to choose the action to make your golems do an action. And, and it took me about two and a half rounds to figure that out. And the game is only four. So that was a bad move on my part. Um, I absolutely would love to play this again. I love the theme. I was telling Jason, he's like, what do you, well, how do you know this? I'm like, there was a Sherlock episode um, where he referenced um, some of the folklore around the golem. And I just remember a, a lot about that. And I'm like, that is so interesting. I think, think we should um i i like that's pulling like the star of david and like the aleph and there's lots of things that it's cool to see in a game and this is a really unique theme so i absolutely love to play it again i think now that i've kind of got my mind wrapped around it finally i might not do so badly i'm not saying i would start winning but i probably wouldn't do as badly as i did before but yeah definitely intriguing definitely thinking because yeah you've only got 12 turns and you're trying to make the most of it and it's hard really to make the most of it yeah i don't necessarily think there's one way to win but there's definitely two you need to either do the blue books or you need to focus on your golems. The yellow one you can kind of ignore, like the building your artifacts thing. But you definitely need to do one of those other two. And the more of each of those you can do, I think the better. So, yeah, I can see that. It, it, that's not how you like to roll. I, I get that. But when you have 12 actions, they got to um, kind of point you in a direction, I think. Which is kind of what they're doing here. Yeah, it's alright. It was better than alright. But it doesn't matter because we have now um, sold all of our games... Burnt everything that we've ever owned gaming-wise because we have played the greatest game of all time. No other game can even compare. And that game is called Ark Nova. Okay, before you get into this, I want to talk about how annoying you are about when a game is hyped. And then you play it and you're like, wow, this is actually a good game. But you still continue to be obnoxious because it's almost like you enjoy being the contrarian. And I'm not having that. I like this game. I'm just... Then quit, like, being obnoxious about it. Like, it's not that bad. You're just being annoying. I just want to throw my two cents in. I'm not annoyed at the game. I'm annoyed at the people saying that this is the greatest game of all time. When, in my opinion, that is not correct and not accurate. So, that's that's my beef with with the uh, hype around this game. Now, let's talk about this game. And I'll let you talk about more of the theme later, but... Effectively, what this game is, is you are running a zoo, I believe, and you are doing that by interesting card play, where you're going to be using these cards in your hand and playing them to get, uh, what is it, appeal points, which is a score marker that's moving one way around the track, and you're also trying to play them and do other actions to move your score marker around another scoring track so they meet up, kind of like Rogers of the Ganges. Now, um, the interesting thing here is you have this polyomino board in front of you. Some of the cards that you play down are going to require certain sizes of pins. There's like two, three, four, five, and there's singles. And if you don't have space, you can't play that card. Some of them can go in a petting zoo, which allow you to have a couple different things. Um, and then another interesting thing is all these cards are going to be have need required 
amount of like tags or icons. I say tags because that's like Terraforming Mars deal, but it's similar to that where if I need two science tags before I can play this card, I got to figure out how to get science tags and all that kind of thing. So it's kind of like a big tableau engine buildery thing. Uh, and you have this really cool action selection mechanism where you can take an action, but the longer you wait to take the action, it's going to get stronger. So you can wait and then it gets to the end. You can take it, but then it goes all the way back to the beginning and it gets weak. You can upgrade the actions. You can get goals and a whole bunch of stuff going on. So that's what the game is. The theme is about a zoo. Um, and the game was fine. I, I enjoyed it. I think it may be a little bit too long. Same because it's one of those games where you just keep going until someone hits like a threshold. And depending on how quickly players are doing that or what they're doing on their turn is going to determine how long the game goes. So it's just one of those games that doesn't have a set turn, so it could just go on for a while. But outside of that, I enjoyed the game. I liked the way the card play worked. Um, I liked the scoring mechanism where you're trying to meet. I thought the polyomino board was okay, but I don't really love the polyomino thing. But it was necessary here, so I dig it. Ark Nova, I like it. I just hate the FOMO. Now, what do you think about Ark Nova? Okay, it's good because I like Terraforming Mars. And this is what I think it's terraforming Mars, which a theme that I actually enjoy um, with kind of an extra like interesting um, action selection mechanic and the scoring of Raja the Ganges, which I also enjoy. So there's lots of pluses. I agree that goes on too long. And I think what what I what Jason and I were talking about the other day when we were discussing this is it's like they need to understand what Terraforming Mars did with Prelude and jumpstart everyone so the game doesn't take forever. And that's exactly what needs to happen because we're talking I'm like, gosh, I do feel like it takes a long time. I mean, we did play it four players. I mean, two players we probably could um, or, you know, people were like, I really know how to play this game and they move through quickly. And they're like, yeah, I know all my turns. But I mean, cards are coming out and things are changing. So in between turns, so that's not necessarily true. Um but yeah, if I started out with um, an enclosure or two or with an animal or enclosure with an animal or, you know, what have you, something, or there was um, as a free action, maybe you could claim a milestone in addition to, to choosing the action on your turn. Uh, I think that would help speed up the game as well. Because then that's that's really the only those milestones are one of the few places where you can get actual decent amount of um not point. What kind of points are those? Not appeal. Uh, it's yeah, I don't I, I know they're just green. I don't remember what they were called. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I forget already. <laughs> oh my gosh. But the the other type of points that are, are much more difficult to get. Uh, they and they are very difficult to get. So having the ability to to pick them up in in an easier manner, I think it is pretty vital. Um, would help speed the game up along a lot. Um, but I, that being said, it's a good game. I I love the idea of okay, I got a zoo and I want I you know I have this type of animal you know I'm like oh I got red pandas in my hand of course I want to put red pandas in my zoo all right well I gotta get the right type of enclosure and do I have the right symbols to meet and how can I get those and 
I'm going to have money, enough money to get these red pandas in here because these red pandas are stinking expensive. And how can I capitalize on the fact that, okay, now I've got an Australia icon or, or an Asia icon from the red pandas. Like, okay, do I have something else that can play off that? Like, I love those kind of combos with cards and stuff. So I think it's a really good game. Um, but yes, I, I absolutely think it needs one of those kind of speed up a little bit kind of mechanics that would make then that would make this game really really competitive for me as far as ones that i would choose to play regularly yeah i agree with all that um yeah i i like the game like i said i would probably give this game an eight or an 8.5 i like this game i just yeah the other stuff bothers me but yeah it was a good game Gollum, arc nova can't be creatures all solid games Gollum was the best but that's okay um so yeah those are the games that we played. We'll keep moving on. All right. So we're kind of trying to figure out, like, we did the Origins thing. We had our whole publisher series. Now we're like, wow, we got to come up with a topic for our, our podcast again. And we've thrown around a lot. And you guys have actually given us some great ideas, which we really appreciate. But I thought we'd trot out some, again, we like to cover old games, games we already have. And we also really like to talk about ways to get games to people that don't like games or ways for you to get more bang for your buck when it comes to the hobby. So today we're talking about old faithful games, games, not necessarily like old games or like, um, you know, like retail monopoly type games but games that we bring out whenever there's new gamers um non-gamers even and they're easy to teach people pick up on them quickly and we've never really heard a complaint about them uh so we each have three and then there are a ton of honorable mentions because honestly we have found like a pretty good and and ever-growing kind of collection of games that have worked really well for us in introducing games to people. So, uh, Jason, I'll let you get started. And we'll kind of explain why, like, we'll explain the game, but also why it works so well or how we've seen it work for people. All right. So the first one I put on my list is actually, um, it's on my list for a few reasons. The first reason is you can find this at Walmart and Target for $20. Second reason, it has a theme that most people will recognize, understand, which is Marvel. Third reason, it's a cooperative game, so it's easier to teach, and uh, everybody can kind of work through some of the stuff together. And the game is Marvel United. So I'm not a big cooperative fan, but I do enjoy this game because it's a cooperative game that's not super punishing and brutal. It's just fun. It's beatable. Occasionally you lose, but a lot of times you win. You can be cool characters with really cool, cute little chibi minis. The gameplay is really simple. You can learn as you're going. Um, every, most people know Marvel, so that makes it even a little bit more accessible. Great price point, and it's just fun. Every time we brought this game out, I, I don't think there's been anybody that we played it with that didn't like it. And just the base box has like eight or nine characters you can pick from. Three baddies. Um, just pick one. Play a game in 30, 45 minutes. Play again if you want, or move on to something else. Great game. Um, definitely one that I like to keep bringing out to people. One I'd like to get more stuff for, but again, not necessary because 
as much as we play, which is not, you know, a crazy amount. We have more than enough in that box to get me interested. So my first one, for all the reasons that I said, Marvel United. Yeah, I like this one. I love the chibis. I love Marvel. 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 Um, I wish... I actually want the X-Men version, but whatever. It is good. And when we put, it looks cool on the table. People are interested. It's accessible. Yeah, it just, it, it goes over with lots of different age groups too. So it's a good one. Um, my next one is also a cooperative game. And this one is a little bit deeper. But um, gosh, a lot of people really enjoy this. And that is Shipwreck Arcana. Now, there are some people like, I'm too dumb for games. But I'm like, okay, you have seven numbers. You have a number line. It's numbers one to seven. You draw two numbers out of a bag. You place a number on a clue to help everybody else work together to figure out what number you have. Now, I will say at the beginning, sometimes people are unsure. Sometimes the way the, um, the cards with the clues on them are worded can be a little funky. So sometimes it takes a little bit, but this game also goes so quickly that you can play once. Everyone's like, okay, I get it now. Let's try it again. You can also up the difficulty if people find it too easy, which you can make it, you know, a little bit easier on yourselves. Uh, And the artwork is beautiful. Again, it's super quick. There's a tactile kind of component to these um, tiles and while yes, it is numbers, it's not overly mathy. It's a little bit about deduction. And the fact that it's a cooperative game, you can kind of talk out loud with everybody and say, okay, well, they placed their one their one tile on this card. And it says that it has to, the addition, the sum of the two numbers is even. Okay, so we know it can't be this, this, and this. And talking it out loud and helping people understand kind of where you're coming from and the logic behind it helps people start to kind of catch on to it um yeah some of the fading stuff with some um after so many numbers get put on these cards they will fade which does kind of move your clock along however when they fade you get like a power that makes things a little bit easier so even if people aren't aren't doing so well it actually helps give them an advantage and it's built into the game which i think is really great um so yeah, Shipwrecker Canna has gone over really well. And I think you have to get it off or where I've always seen it is on the publisher's website, which I should know. Miromorph. Yeah, Miromorph. I was like, I know that it ends in morph. But it is a fairly cheap game. So definitely worth checking out. So my first choice is Shipwrecker Canna. Yeah, and this is good too because of the co-op nature. And again, that fading thing is kind of obnoxious, but as long as somebody is really familiar with it, doesn't really bother the rest of the players. So yeah, I don't worry about that too much. All right, the next one I have on my list is, I don't know how accessible it is, but every time we played it with people, it seems to go over fine. And that is The Godfather. Now, this is not the, the easiest game in the world to play, but it has a theme that most people recognize. For a while, it was kind of inexpensive because they had them at Marshall's because they couldn't give them away. And the main thing I think people like about it is the interaction. So in this game, it's a worker placement game. You're trying to collect different types of stuff to complete these contracts. That's the gist of it, a little bit of area control. But some of the contracts that you fulfill are going to really like mess people over. It could blow. It could kill a bunch of their people and throw them in the river. It could block them out of spaces. It could take control of an area. So 
while the game is, you know, kind of mean, I think some players kind of like that. They like screwing over their friends and all that kind of thing. But it's thematic and fun, and the game is not very hard to teach. Once you get into it, it makes a lot of sense. And so far, everybody we've played it with, I think, has liked it. I haven't heard otherwise, so it made it my list. So my number two, The Godfather. Yeah, this the theme is accessible. Like I've never actually seen any Godfather movies, but it's so But you iconic. know the quotes? Right. It's so iconic pop culture that it it's something that everybody can kind of pick on. They understand the idea of gangsters, you know, and it's, it's really is set collection. So collecting resources and doing this contract fulfillment kind of stuff. And then that happens to make other things, you know, occur that may be mean or whatever, but again, you can get them right back and you're still trying to focus on getting money for your contracts that are fulfilled. It's, it's yeah, it's good. And plus you got like, minis sort of and people like to move them around yeah it's it's got a little bit of the toy factor for sure uh my next one is super popular we talk about it all the time um because it is so good it is so accessible i've taught it to lots of people as soon as they play it they're like yeah this is awesome i only know one person on the planet who doesn't like it and he doesn't count and that game is Quacks of Quedlinburg. <laughs> yes, I'm talking about Dan. Yeah, he doesn't count about a lot of things. No, he wouldn't know a good game if it walked up and threw cubes in his eyes. Um, so Quacks of Quedlinburg <laughs> is a push your luck game. Like there's theme to it. Like, oh, you're, you know, you're a quack doctor and you're making potions, whatever. But really, the thing is, you are pulling these chits out of a bag you're placing them in their cauldron. You're trying to do as many as you can without busting. You are making, um, you know, trying to make it as far as you can without blowing your cauldron up. And then you are getting all that you can buy different kinds of chips in there to make things even better, um, to make your bag better, to uh, like increase your odds. And, Again, lots of different ways to play it. You can choose what kind of um, like types of ingredients you want to go with, um, how you want to like try and make your pot get as full as possible. But again, it's pure push your luck. It's what drives people to pull a slot machine. It's just um, one of the things like, ooh, can I go on more? Like, oh, you know, I've got the white is what ex- makes you explode. So you're like, okay, I've got four white chips. Ooh, okay, I got plenty of time. Oh, all right, I pulled out a two. I got one. What's still left? Like, it's a constant, like, tug of war, the excitement. You're really playing against yourself in a lot of ways and how far you're willing to take and push your luck. Um, but yeah, it still, it still is competitive, but there's great catch-up mechanisms. There's lots of little, the event cards are awesome. Just lots of great stuff going on in this game. Um, any list would be remiss if I didn't include this. So Quacks of Quedlinburg, definitely a solid Old Faithful. Yeah, this isn't even the easiest game to teach people because of all those ingredients, but it still goes over well every single time. Well, but they don't all come out right away either. So that's another thing. Yeah, like, the true. game is set up to really to help you. Like On the board, it shows you walk through how what you do on every turn, and you just follow those icons. 
And then, um, you know, you're going to have, it has little books that tell you what each of the things do. So if you have somebody forgets, they can read it and you start with a certain number. And yes, there are like three or four more that get added, but they get added one at a time. So you'd only have to learn like one new one after you learn the basic ones. Yeah, and one of them is the pumpkin. If you're just playing the base game, one of them is just a pumpkin that doesn't do anything. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I guess that's true. Yeah. But for as, you know, this is, as, compared to some of the other ones, this is a beefier game, but it still true. goes over like it's not. Yeah. It's it's an interesting game for, in that, that way. I don't know how it, how it can cross those lines as well as it does, but it does. All right. So the last one I want to talk about is, I don't know, it it's one of our older games. We bought this one a while ago but we've played it with a lot of people because it's easy to play it's fast it's easy to teach um and yeah and that game is called century spice road there's century golem edition 2 same game different art and the reason i put this on the list is same reasons that i've kind of been putting things on it's not a super expensive game it has a one page rule book it's a front and a back of one page it has nice components it has these little bowls that have cubes it's easy to teach. It's easy to play. It plays really fast. On your turn, you're doing one of three things. You're either taking a card from the display and paying a, a spice on the ones that you pass over. You are fulfilling a contract or you're picking up your cards. That's it. So you're once playing you figure- a card. Oh, oh, yes. Or playing a card. So four things. Playing a card, picking up a card, filling a contract, or passing. That's That's all you're doing. So once you understand those actions... And you understand what you're doing. The game is going to fly by. Turns take five seconds. Uh, it's your turn. You do something. You're done. So you can play this game in 30, 45 minutes. Again, one-page rule book. Easy to teach. Easy to understand. And so far, I mean, you, I think you probably like it the least of a lot of people. And I don't know uh, yeah. if it's just because we've played it a bunch. But uh, everybody we've played it with seems to really like it. It's a, it, And it introduces to a lot of different mechanisms. It does... Um, you know, there's a lot of other games that where you play all your cards, you have to pick them up. Concordia does that. Lots of games do that type of thing. And then the passing over things by putting cubes down. A lot of games do that. So it introduces you to a lot of other mechanisms in bigger and heavier games. And I like that. So my third one, Century Spice Room. Yeah, I think I like it the least because I suck at it so bad. Like, I still can't figure out how to play this game. I just, I lose almost every time. That's all right. Uh, my last game is one that we picked up, like, uh, for five bucks or something but every time we've played it people really enjoy it um, and that game is fool's gold so fool's, fool's gold is a game about mining and there's something about like the gold rush that people think is really fun and it's done really thematically in this game where each of the different locations that you can mine um, is represented by a deck of cards that includes gold. It includes a, a particular je- type of gem. It also has silt. It also has cards that say, hey, we had some bad weather, so you don't get as much of the mining as you thought you would. And also some, um, oh, what's the, la- what's the other, what's it called? Wintering? No, 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 no. The card that you draw where it's like, oh, you thought it was gold, but it's not. Oh, uh, false alarm? Yeah. Bad weather? Yeah. One no, of, false. One of those two. Yeah, false, false alarm. alarm. Um, where you thought it might have been gold, uh, but it wasn't. So you like put some back. Super thematic. Now, there is a little bit to it with the dice. A whole bunch of dice get rolled at the beginning and it decides uh, what mines are open and what aren't. So kind of 
maybe manipulating those if you need to with a wild number, um, like understanding what how many cards that means that you turn over when you mine can be a little a little tricky. But if you have someone that understands that and once you explain it to people and they see it in action, usually the first um, mining like year, they get it the rest of the time. And I think you mine over maybe five years. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, but it also has a really great mechanism where you want to get gold an equal amount from each of the mines because whatever mine you have the most gold from, all that gold is fool's gold and it gets kicked out and doesn't count towards your points. So it really helps keep things, I think, balanced for everyone. It kind of helps you try at different places and need to get to different places. It also, and then there's that frustration. There is that push your luck again aspect like, all right, I'm surely going to get gold this time. And you're like, crap, everything was silt or, you know, someone else took it first. Like there's such theme to it that makes sense to people. Because they're like, oh, yeah, that would happen when you're mining. That makes sense that it would come out that way. I I would say Thebes is close in that aspect. But Thebes has a lot more stuff going on to it. Whereas Fool's Gold is a little bit more straightforward about I'm putting my miner out at this mine. And then once all the miners are out, we're going to mine these places and see how they turn out. That in itself, I, I think, makes it very accessible. It looks really neat on the table. It's got, you know, tool art. Um but again, not a ton of choices. I've got these miners. I have to put them somewhere. Like, how much can I afford or where can I afford to put them? I, I mean, that's that's really it. But it's yeah. it's so good. Everyone who's played it, like, gets really into it. And it's like, okay, come on, come on, mine. Where's the gold? Where's the gold? Like, they're totally there. It's good. The card flipping can be brutal, too. I mean, you can go to the same mine five rounds in a row and get nothing. Oh my it's, gosh. Yeah. It's, it's brutal. Cause it, yeah, it, it can definitely mess with you. And Brandon got a couple, uh, <laughs> oh, couple bad rough. flips, which was pretty bad. Yeah. It, it's funny though, when it's not happening to you. <laughs> That's true. It almost becomes funny to you. Cause you're like, Oh, I just can't mine in the river. Something about the river doesn't work out for me. You know, it's just ridiculous. Yeah. Or you go there with like all your people with all the dice. You're going to flip like 14 cards just so you can try to get one. Yeah. All right, so we do have some honorable mentions as well. Some games that could have been on the list, but we just picked three. So we'll just talk about some of the other ones that we like. So the first one that I'll talk about is Dice Forge. This is a game where everybody's kind of doing something every single turn. You're rolling these dice. You're getting income, which basically means you're moving a queue up on a track. And then when it comes to your turn, you're going to either use your money to buy some new die faces to customize your dice or send your little worker out to a space to collect some cards that will give you some kind of special ability and score points. That's it. It takes place over eight to ten rounds based on the player count. Looks amazing on the table. Um, everybody, I think, likes it. This is a little bit beefier than some of the other ones just because of all the die faces and cards and all that stuff, but still not a hard game, and the look of it really draws people in. Well, because people love rolling dice on every single turn, even if it's not theirs, and they're getting something all the time, which people like, and like the novelty of popping off the die faces, I think that people like that too. That's true. People love a good gimmick. See, I'm, I'm a man of the people. <laughs> uh, the next game is a game that we've played an awful lot, and it's a little card game called Ohanami. And this is a game about um, playing cards on the front of you into three different columns, up to three columns. And you're trying to get cards in front of... Uh, when you're playing a card, you have to play a card that 
is what is it between another card no you can't high? go between cards oh yeah higher or lower than a card you have out right. there and you're going to score points based on the different colors of cards that you have each round so the first round blue will score second round blue and green will score third round blue green and pink will score or and gray will score and at the end all of your pink ones will score for whoever however many pink ones you have you get a bunch of points a uh, simple little card game there's some drafting um it's thinkier than it sh- it looks but it's really fun we played it a lot and 20 minutes good game and another game that has gone over with people who don't even play games is bonanza this is a little silly game about planting beans harvesting beans to score a bunch of points but there's also this trading phase where you can flip some beans up and you're trying to get people to take the beans that you don't want by trading cards out of your hand and sometimes you know people will just make trades because they want to screw somebody over Sometimes they'll jump in on a trade with a better deal to screw somebody over. Um, sometimes you get stuck with the cards and you got to plant them in your field even though you don't want them, harvesting something and not getting any money. Silly little game, but everybody we've played it with loves it. Um, easy to teach, easy to play, has stupid little bean artwork. What, what's not to like? Yeah, even our daughter likes it. Our youngest daughter, we got her a version of it, and she likes playing it too. That player yep. action is key. Yep. Um, also... A game, especially since we're from the Midwest, uh, The Crew has been a game that I think has gone over really well. We play with people that love trick-taking card games. Euchre, Heart, Spades are big here. Um, so The Crew just kind of adds new elements. They're like, ooh, there's a different goal. Uh, and they really like that idea. I mean, there are several games I could mention here. The Crew, Hagakure, um, Indulgence. They all kind of have that that similar trick-taking bit. Um, I also happen to have a uh, blog on this if you want to check that out. Um, but there's something about trick-taking that makes it easy for non-gamers, new gamers. Uh, card games work, and this just adds like kind of a different element to it. It's cooperative, but it still is trick-taking. Uh, Takenoko. Takenoko is another game that people see it on the shelf or they see it out, and they're like, that's so cute. What is that? Oh, is that a panda? Like, that looks fun. And It is. And it is really pretty basic. You're going to roll the weather die. You're going to do what the weather says. And it, I believe it tells you on, a, on the player aid. Um, and then you choose what to do. You get a tile of terrain. You move the gardener and grow bamboo. You move the panda, eat bamboo. That, that's it. And then if you fulfill a card, you turn it in and you get new ones. <laughs> Um, so basic, that whole idea of contract fulfillment, but it looks great. It has interesting table presence. Um, it's a very accessible kind of feel to it and people are just drawn to it. Um, another one, this is one of the first games I ever played was bang. Um, and for us, like, especially I played the standard version of bang when I was in college, but bang the dice game is so easy to teach to people. They love that wild West. I'm going to shoot you. Are you the deputy? Whatever, like puns, jokes, movie lines abound when you play this game. Um, but it's something that people, you know, understand like, okay, I'm the sheriff. I want to live. (laughs) I want to shoot outlaws. I'm an outlaw. I want to shoot the sheriff, you know? Um, the renegade is like kind of the hardest part. And so once you kind of explain the renegade rules, uh, I think people are like, oh, okay, I get it. You sometimes have to give them the strategy like, hey, if you're the renegade, pretend you're a deputy until the outlaws are dead. Then go after the sheriff. Like, um, But there's 
lots of expansions to like the act the card game itself but the dice game really kind of narrows down choices and makes it so things happen quickly and people don't have as much to choose from um and things just flow quick so bang is a really great one to teach people yeah both versions are cool i played a ton of the card game but i yeah i like the dice game a little bit better um next we have black fleet which is a hard to find game now sorry about taking on the role of a pirates, pick up and deliver game. You're picking up goods, trying to deliver them to other places to earn money, using that money to flip over these cards. If you flip over all five of the cards in front of you, you win the game. You're trying to do that first. Uh, you're stealing people's uh, treasure. You're sinking their ships, all that kind of thing. Everything you'd want in a good pirate game, this one has it. And it's really easy to play and teach because it's a really... You, you play a card and you move a, some boats, what it says. And then if you're at an island, you can pick up some goods. That's it. Great game. Concept, which is a party game, kind of a team versus team game, where you're using these little, uh, you, you have like a phrase or a word, and you're using these pieces, like there's like a question mark and an exclamation mark and these little cubes of a certain color to try to give people clues on the main board what you're trying to symbolize. So if it's a superhero, you're going to put something down like a male or female, if it's a male or female character, um, if it's like magical or something, you're going to point to what those characters are and hopefully someone can get it. Whoever gets it gets two points. Everyone else on the team gets a point, that kind of thing. Cool game. Uh, the next game is Celestia, which is one that I really like and probably could have been on my list, but I didn't put it there. And this is a push your luck dice rolling game where someone's taking on the role of the captain of this, this like skyship, and you're going to roll two dice or three or four dice, depending on where you are. And then everybody else is going to decide if they think the captain has the cards in their hand to match those uh, die faces. Or if they don't, they can jump out of the ship, land on the island, gain a treasure card that's worth some points or some kind of special power. If everybody stays in, the captain has the cards, they play the cards, you move the, sh you move the ship to the next island, it keeps going. The farther you get up, the more points you get, and it's a race to get to 50 points. Great game. Looks amazing on the table. Has a couple expansions that make it even crazier. And this game is everybody that we played it with loves it. So had to make it on the honorable mention list. Yeah. Um, another game that everyone we played with loves this game and that's bring out your dead. Um, it's weird. It's from upper deck and it's a game about burying family members, but it's like a really easy um, area control game. And it's also there's simultaneous action selection. And you're kind of pushing your luck to see if you can get coffins on the cart or there's some set collection you can do there. Lots of different mechanics kind of introduced in a really uh, straightforward way. And people think that, like, and the theme is just funny and ridiculous. And people love that. And the wooden coffins are cool, too. So the bits are cool. It's just one of those strange games that everyone we've played it with is like, dude, this game's cool. I want to get it. Um, Camel Up. It definitely could have been on either of our lists. But we do talk about it all the time. Because... Everyone who's ever played it loves this game. Camel racing. What's going to happen? Who's going to win? I don't know. Ooh, that camel jumped on top of that other camel. Chunky wooden camels, a little shaky pyramid. I mean, what's not to love? People are so into it. Looks cool on the table. Um, they love that idea of trying to figure out what are the odds, who's going to pull ahead, when, when, when do I vote, how soon is too soon. Uh, it's just quality. And then the last one I want to talk about is another Keymaster game. I talked about Campy Creatures earlier. Um, Parks. Parks is a little bit more for people, but it is basic, like, 
contract fulfillment, resource management kind of stuff in such a beautiful way. It also demonstrates like the mechanic of like moving forward, but never backward um, on a track, which is something we see in other games. But it's just so pretty. It's very kind of relaxing. Um, it introduces a lot of those concepts in a way that I think people just find really accessible. And you can get this one at Target. So also easy to obtain. Like it's it's just a really well done game. So yeah, um, this has been like a longer episode for sure. But for us, like, we really are trying to get more people into the hobby. We like to play board games. You know, we want to spend time with our family. Like, quality time is something that's important to us. And board games are a great way to do that. So we try to get groups of games and games that we think we can teach quickly and easily that people are going to catch on to and they're going to have fun with. Yeah, agree. And any of these games right here would fit that bill. Yeah. So what about you? Um, what are games that you have found really work for new gamers, non-gamers, or even experienced gamers that they're like, man, this is a good game. Like, let's pull that one out. Yeah, that's always a quality game. What are your old faithful games? Tell us. We've got Facebook. We've got Instagram. We've got the Twitters. We've got a Discord feed. Uh, we've got YouTube. Like, we love to hear from you guys. And I personally would like to even grow our collection of old faithful games that we can pull out whenever we just need a good game to go to. Yeah, for sure. I agree with all that. Check us out. Join YouTube. Join the Twitter. Be our friends. We like friends. (laughs) Katie likes friends. Jason likes virtual friends. That's true. Yeah, I don't mind talking to you on the internet. That's fine. (laughs) Don't expect it in real life and he won't remember your birthday. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's true i did remember her birthday thank you he'll much. probably insult everyone's cult your culture your language at some yeah. point i if apologize you're jewish, if you're jewish today i apologize for that I know. uh oh my gosh. <laughs> that golem thing <laughs> oy vey and that was like not even a digital but sure it wasn't <sighs> and our cat just puked on my folder for my master's thesis awesome that's fun uh it's a barrel of laughs here, folks. I got to tell you, the poor Game Mechanic Central. <laughs> All right. Well, this episode has certainly been long enough. Um, I've been Katie. And I'm Jason. Keep gaming, everybody. Keep gaming. Keep gaming.